Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. The idea of human equality is founded on notions of the inherent value and inestimable worth of each human person. But on what are such notions of value and worth of the human person based? From the opening pages of the Bible, this is a matter of simple assertion. In the opening chapter of the Bible, it declares that in that man and woman are created in the image and likeness of God. In the second chapter of the Bible, another metaphor is used. It says God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. In this way, man is not merely matter in motion, but value has been added. He is living soul. Those two metaphor, metaphoric expressions form the foundation in the Bible of the idea of human beings as persons of inestimable worth and value. There is not unanimity as to what constitutes the image of God in the human person or the meaning of living soul. We know from the immediate context that it has something to do with the vice regency that human persons exercise over the created order. It has something to do with human beings as members of community, and it has something to do with moral consciousness and moral responsibility. The unfolding story in the Bible provides a matrix for the interrogation of two questions that describe the character of human history. The first is a question that God asked Cain concerning his brother Abel that Cain had killed. Cain, where is your brother? In response to which Cain demanded, am I my brother's keeper? The other question is raised in the New Testament by a lawyer who wanted to trap Jesus in an argument. The lawyer asked, and who is my neighbor? The narration and the interrogation summarize both the human history and sacred scripture. They converge on the notion of the value and inestimable worth of the human person and leave with a question that history tries to escape. I am my brother's keeper and I am neighbor to whomever comes across my path to treat them as I would like myself to be treated. The two versions of the creation of the creation story in the book of Genesis indicate what has been demonstrated over and over again throughout history, that a human being is more than the sum of her parts. Whether we approach it from the point of view of their origin or from their community, there is something about a human person that defies predictability, that has a germ of overcoming circumstances. 
They are image of God. They are living soul, innately and essentially. They have a sense of freedom, of responsibility, and of community. It is what it is and cannot be taken from a human, human being. Whenever we have found cause to doubt the human capacity, it has not been because of the lack we notice among vulnerable populations, including persons who are differently abled. Whenever we have had cause to doubt the moral responsibility or sense of community of human persons, it has always been because of actions of the powerful. The most inhumane actions have been committed by the most powerful and the most well-resourced. This is not to say that the powerful or the wealthy have a monopoly on violence and brutishness. It is to acknowledge that the problem is not with humanity per se, but with what power does. Indeed, we learn early in a narrative that the genius of the human person is also his capacity to create evil and do evil. Cain killed his brother before weapons were even invented all by himself. A heart of envy was all he needed to commit murder. The capacity for good and for ingenuity, as well as venality and caprice of the human person, must never be underestimated. From the very outset of Genesis, the Genesis story, then, the nature of history is being laid bare. History is a struggle to maintain our obligation to be our brother's keeper. It leaps and lurches toward a community in which we accept each other as neighbors. In order to fulfill this objective and complete this task of brotherliness and neighborliness, fraternity and community, there are three things that we will have to work at constantly. The first is that our operating assumption must be human equality. All persons are created equal and are endued with inalienable rights. When we look at our fellow human beings, we must see in them image of God. We must see persons who are, more, who are of more value than all the things that make them up combined. It is how we start. We have lived to see the destructive politics in communities that are founded on notions of a master class or a master race. These ideas are not sustainable. Indeed, 70 years ago, the human family was brought to the brink of self-annihilation because of notions of racial superiority of the Aryan race. It is not a viable idea at all. It is not grounded in reality. It produces extraordinary levels of violence. If we approach each other with a spirit of brotherliness and sisterliness and with a spirit of neighborliness, we stand to build more gentle and more harmonious communities. This is how it is meant to be. The idea of ethnicity or gender or race giving a natural advantage has not proven to be the case in athletics or in academics or anywhere else. People are people and anybody can become anything depending on what inputs or training they have received. Indeed, our race and our kind has been the most underrated 
and mistreated among the human family, and still we rise. It is because what we are inherently and what we possess as human persons have nothing to do with melanin or testosterone or material possession. It is in our hearts and in our souls. The second challenge that we must overcome must be to curb our own tendencies towards envy and greed. It is not clear why Cain killed his brother Abel. And Abel is not around to tell us and Cain has not said. All we have to go on is that Cain farmed crops and Abel farmed livestock. It is generally agreed that whatever it had to do with Abel's relative success as compared with Cain. The success of others has been known to prompt others to greed and envy. Sometimes people are envious because others succeed even when their success is less than their own. Envy is not quantitative. It does not need volume in order to be prompted. It is a matter of perspectives. It is how you look at things. It is a choice you make to begrudge others for what they have. It is not an easy thing, but perhaps we should learn to rejoice with others and to be happy for them when they succeed, even if we don't. It is a project we should undertake to be content with what we have. But the overarching task is not to allow anything to come between your brother and sister and yourself. You must not allow material things to destroy your relationship with others, and you must not allow other relationships to get in the way. Invest in brotherhood, invest in sisterhood, invest in fraternity, invest in sorority. There, there was a time in rural communities in which families identify siblings with the words brother or sister, and all relationships began with a title like that. It was how we addressed each other in church. These have increasingly become tenuous and unaffirmed relationships. I think we need to repeat the titles in order to reinforce the value that we place on these relationships. We must not only acknowledge each other, but we must commit to act in ways that secure each other's interests. We must become our brother's keeper. The third thing that is required is to build a consciousness of neighborliness. The sorority and fraternity presume a certain kinship and sameness, some natural or social similarities. The project of neighborliness is an affirmation we make in the context of certain obvious dissimilarities, some differences. This is moot in a world of race baiting. It is challenging in a world where social uniformity is promoted as a marketing strategy and community building strategy in some quarter. This invites us to learn to live with diversity. It is to become comfortable and tolerant of people who have cultural and other distinctives that are different from our own. It is to learn to live in the full mosaic of humanity. There is economic and social difference. There is racial and ethnic difference. There is difference in religion and creed. There are political differences. There is difference in sexual orientation. There are people are no less humans than you are if 
they are different from you are. Their humanity is a given. They are creatures of God's likeness, whether you like them or not. Like the Samaritan who put the Jew on his donkey, having tended his wounds and paid his medical expenses, our project in life is to go thou and do likewise, to build a culture of brotherliness and of neighborliness is our gift to a world which is fractured and splintering because of inequality. Of course, these are faith propositions. These are the positions that are rooted and grounded in faith in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the brother who laid down his life for his friend and the embodiment of the Good Samaritan. He calls us to love each other as he has loved us. In the construct that he has made, there is no room to treat the other person as less than ourselves, let alone building communities that are rooted in inequality. We must build out this fraternity and community because our brother's blood cries from the ground to God because of us. Ending inequality begins by affirming our common humanity and committing to building fraternity and community. This is a project for life, individually and collectively. May God help us to do likewise. Amen.